Well, I also want to welcome you uh, here today. If we have not met, my name is David. I serve as a senior pastor here. And uh, especially if you're a guest with us today, we want to say uh, thank you for being here. You just saw an expression of what this church uh, is all about. So if you are brand new, that's, that's what we're about. We're about loving God, loving others, and serving the world. And every once in a while in the life of our church, we have a week uh, where you can see that mission lived out so vividly in, in what we are doing. This is one of those weeks coming up, uh, as you've already heard about United Mission Week and the hundreds of students uh, who will be serving here in our community and surrounding communities, uh, volunteers who will be with them giving their, their week to, to bless those kids. Uh, many different people uh, will be served, many different organizations will be served uh, in the course uh, of this week. Uh, but what I want to encourage you to do as a church is I want to encourage you to pray for our students, to pray for our junior high students and our high school students. Uh, the first job I had in ministry was a youth pastor. And one of the things that I learned uh, in that role, but also I knew from my own life and my own experience of growing up in the church and, and coming to a deep faith in Jesus, is that when you serve, when you give of yourself, when you act out the love that we believe that God has for all the world, what's amazing is that love can become real to you in a brand new way. And, and our prayer is that even as our students serve and express love and live out, our, live out our mission, I want to invite you to pray that God's love would grow in their own hearts and in their own lives. Because there may be some of them this week who for the first time that becomes real in the in experience of, of sharing with others, uh, being in worship. And I want to encourage you uh, to do that, to pray for these students, to pray for God's love to come alive in them in a, in a whole new and a deeper way uh, as they serve as a part of United Mission Week. If you have your Bible, I want to encourage you to turn to the Gospel of Luke uh, chapter 5. Luke chapter 5, uh, if you did not bring your Bible with you, uh, you can find Luke 5 on page 1600 in the Blue Bibles uh, that we have available for you in all of our worship spaces. Uh, I want to encourage you to turn there as we share the third message uh, of this series uh, entitled Looking for Leaders. Uh, and we've started each of the previous messages uh, by first looking at this quote from John Maxwell who says that everything rises and falls with leadership. And in thinking about that idea, what I've encouraged you to think about is your own desire to be led by great leaders. Whatever the context may be in your home life, your work life, the organizations that you're a part of, we all desire to be led by great leaders. And over the course of the last two weeks, we've looked at two leaders from the Bible, uh, looking at what we can learn from faith uh, about the, the search for leadership, but also how we impact a world that is looking for leaders. Uh, and here's the two ideas that we've talked about in looking at Moses and the life of David, that while the world is looking for leaders, the leader God is looking for just might be you. That we wanted to begin with the idea that as we think about leadership, that, that the goal of this series was not for you to take some notes and to pass them along to other leaders in your life, but to think about the capacity of your leadership and your influence in the circle of people that you're a part of. And, and last week we talked about that leadership begins and ends with the heart, because in the heart is where God fosters our courage. Without courage, leadership 
relationship uh, cannot, uh, cannot flourish. In the heart is where God plants God's dreams. And in the heart is where the battle for leaders is either lost or won. Uh, I also shared with you uh, this picture last week, and it's so good I got to share it with you again. Even if you were here, you're just going to hear this again, but if you missed it, uh, this is Maggie, a great example of what we mean by someone who says, hey, I can be a leader too. Maggie's six years old. Uh, She's going to be going into the first grade, one of ours, by the way. Her family joined our church uh, this last spring, and Maggie, after going to uh, one of the parks here in our community, she noticed that park didn't have a swing set. And so Maggie took it upon herself to send a letter to the parks department just to make sure that they knew. Maybe they forgot. Maybe they didn't know that there wasn't a swing set in her park. And you can probably tell from this picture here with the mayor and this big key that she got her request. They put a swing set in the park there by her house because Maggie stood up and said, hey, this is something that we need. A very simple expression of what we mean by The idea that the world is often looking for leaders, but the leader that God is looking for might in fact be you. So we've looked at the life of Moses. We've looked at the life of David. Today, we're going to look at the life of Jesus. And in looking at the life of Jesus, we're going to look at something, a, a dynamic, if you will, that has been present in each of the previous messages, but it's one that I want to bring into really sharp focus today. Uh, It's something that, uh, again, we've talked about a little bit in in the first two messages, but I've heard many of you share thoughts about this dynamic with me uh, in response to uh, the first couple messages of this series. And I'm going to show it to you up front because for some of you, you're going to hear it and go, well, that sounds a little bit strange. That sounds a little bit counterintuitive. Uh, But over the course of this message, I want to make the case uh, that this dynamic is true. And that is that leadership isn't like learning to ride a bike. You ever heard that phrase before? It's uh, usually referred to, uh, you know, a skill that once learned, you never forget it. Once you learn to ride a bike, you know how to ride a bike. But leadership isn't like learning to ride a bike. Instead, what I want to suggest to you is that the longer we lead, the harder it is to keep leading. The longer that you lead, the harder it is for you to keep leading. And in looking at this idea, we're gonna begin here with Luke chapter five. Uh, And with this episode from the life of Jesus, we're gonna look at two episodes uh, in in Luke's gospel. So once we finish this reading, don't don't close your Bible. We're gonna jump to to Luke chapter six. But let's begin first uh, in chapter five, verse 12. Here's what it says. While Jesus was in one of the towns, a man came along who was covered with leprosy. When he saw Jesus, he fell with his face to the ground and begged him, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man saying, I am willing, be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. And then Jesus ordered him, don't tell anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Yet the news about him spread all the more so that the crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. 
If you were here last spring, we read through the Gospel of Luke, and you may remember what happens in those first few chapters. We begin with the birth of Jesus in chapter 1 and chapter 2, and at the end of chapter 2, there's this really interesting story of the parents of Jesus, Mary and Joseph, leaving Jesus behind when they made a trip to Jerusalem. The boy, Jesus, is left behind. So parents, if you've ever left your kids at school or forgotten to pick them up, you should read Luke chapter 2. You will feel better about yourself because even the parents of Jesus have done that. You get to chapter 3, and what you find is John the Baptist who prepares the way for Jesus. About midway through chapter 4, the public ministry of Jesus begins. And I remind you of that to point out that here in chapter 5, we are still at the very beginning of the ministry of Jesus. And what we find here is something we will see repeated over and over and over again. Someone coming to Jesus in need of healing. Jesus reaching out, touching them, speaking words over their life, and healing coming into their life. Now, if you're reading Matthew's gospel or Mark's gospel or Luke's gospel, these healing episodes often come in quick succession. We go from episode to episode of Jesus healing a leper, healing a blind man, uh, bringing uh, healing to other people with, uh, with illnesses and diseases. It's a very quick pace to the story that each of those three gospel writers tell. But if you look at the Gospel of John, what John does is John tells the story a little bit slower. He tells uh, fewer of these episodes, but he tells, them, uh, he tells them at a slow pace because John wants you to understand the significance of what is happening. And so these episodes, like we find here in Luke chapter 5, these miraculous healings, John has a different way of referring to them. He refers to them as signs. The idea being that these moments are moments where Jesus is doing two things. He is, he's first, he's healing an individual. Here we have, we have a leper, uh, someone who has been uh, pushed outside of the community because of the disease that they have. And Jesus, out of his compassion, heals this individual. He, He does for him what no one else can do. And he restores him to the community. He does for this one man what what only Jesus can do to bring healing in his life and to restore him in his life. But these moments, they're they're not just about one person who is healed. They're they're signs that point to a larger reality. They are, uh, in in the ministry of Jesus, they are moments where we see the fulfillment of the prayer we talked about last week. Thy kingdom come and thy will be done. In other words, in moments like this, what we find is Jesus bringing God's kingdom here among us. Showing us what the kingdom of God is all about, a place where lepers are healed and blind can see and those, even those who have died are raised from the dead where the brokenness and sickness of our world is no more. There's a window here, there's a snapshot of what the world is really supposed to be about. And this is what we find over and over in the ministry of Jesus. He not only teaches us about the kingdom of God, but in the lives of those who find restoration, 
he's also showing us what it's all about. It's a place where those who are the least and the last and the lost find grace and experience restoration and transformation. It's a pattern that's repeated over and over again. But there's another pattern that's repeated over and over again. And it's the pattern that we find here in these last few verses. It's the pattern of the crowds beginning to grow, but Jesus responding in a somewhat surprising way. It's something that if you're just reading through chapter 5, you could easily miss this. But, but look, at the, look at what happens in verse 15. We've got crowds of people coming And then in verse 16, Luke just shares with us this really quick idea that while the crowds are coming, Jesus is withdrawing. While the crowds are growing, while the word is spreading, while people are are growing more and more interested in what this new teacher is doing and how lives are being transformed, we find Jesus withdrawing, according to verse 16, to lonely places where he might pray. Now, turn over to chapter 6. You may not even have to flip the page. Uh, Chapter 6, verse 12, and see another episode from the ministry of Jesus. On one of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. When morning came, he called his disciples to him, and he chose 12 of them who he also designated as apostles. You see there in verse 14 and 15, the 12 apostles, the 12 disciples who Jesus selects, and then immediately follows. Following that, Jesus went down with them and stood on a level place. A large crowd of his disciples was there and a great number of people from all over Judea, from Jerusalem and from the coastal region around Tyre and Sidon, who had come to hear him and be healed of their diseases. Those troubled by impure spirits were cured and the people all tried to touch him because Power was coming from him and healing them all. So working back, we see a similar episode where Jesus is healing. There's power being released from Jesus to bring healing to the world. Before that, we find Jesus setting aside the 12 who are going to be his disciples. But the events of that day... The events of that day are preceded by what we found at the end of the other day that's recorded in chapter 5. Jesus is alone, withdrawn from his disciples on a mountainside, there spending time with God in prayer. The pattern is repeated over and over again of Jesus bringing into the world by his power a healing that only he can bring. And the pattern is repeated over and over again at the end of those days and before those days begin, Jesus has withdrawn. Jesus is in the lonely places. Jesus is with God praying and experience, experiencing restoration. Several summers ago, I ran across a book called Strengthening the Soul of Your Leadership. I would highly recommend it to you. It's by Ruth Haley Barton, and she says something in the book about leadership, uh, an idea that I had never heard before, but has really transformed my own thinking on what it means to be a leader and what are the wonderful aspects and the challenging aspects of being a leader who seeks to bring God's will into the world. Here's what she says. 
leadership involves a very peculiar kind of loneliness. It has to do with seeing something that others do not see, that others do not see as clearly as you see, or perhaps others have lost sight of along the way. It involves staying faithful to God and to the tasks and decisions that are consistent with the journey that God is leading us on, even in the face of criticism, disbelief, and failure. A major difficulty in sustaining leadership and mission is that others who start out with the same enthusiasm that you had will come to lose their nerve. Mutiny and sabotage will come not from enemies who oppose the initial idea, but rather from those whose will has been sapped by unexpected hardships along the way. Again, leadership is not like learning to ride a bike because the longer that you lead, the harder it is to maintain that leadership. So putting together the pieces a little bit, what we find here is that people are healed because of the power that goes out from Jesus. People could reach out and touch Jesus, and even in touching him, there was a power that was released from him into their lives, bringing into reality a picture of what the kingdom of God is really all about. And this power that was present in the life of Jesus, Jesus had such an awareness of that, that even when someone touched him that he was not aware of, he could feel that power leaving his body and going into the life of another. Luke chapter 8, there's a woman who reaches out and touches Jesus from behind. And Jesus, in the midst of a crowd, says, who touched me? Because he could sense the power being released from his life. But here's the other thing that we find in the life of Jesus and the way that he releases this power into the world. Jesus seemed to have the sense that there was a place from which that power came in his life. He had an awareness that the power present in him was a power that first originated in the primary relationship of his life. And so while in the midst of his public ministry, he was out among the people and he was sharing the good news and they would reach out and touch him and the power to bring transformation to life, to, to all these lives, that that, that was released Jesus knew that the source of that power was what happened when he withdrew from the crowds and he spent time in the lonely places praying and being with God. That that was the place where power came from. And, and even in those moments, this, this may sound a little bit strange, but even in those moments, Matthew chapter 6, where Jesus sensed that perhaps he was feeling a bit of weakness, 
He knew where he could go to be renewed and recharged. And so at the end of his life, while he awaits for those who will come to arrest him, he goes to the garden and what does he do? He withdraws from his disciples and what does he say? He prays to God and he says, Lord, this cup, I don't know, would you take it from me? But in the presence of God, in the lonely places of his life, the power that had set so many lives free was renewed in his own life and he was able as a part of that prayer to say, Lord, not my will, but your will. Leadership is not like learning to ride a bike. Leadership is one of those things that gets harder with the course of time which is why I've heard from so many over the course of the last two weeks who have felt a sense of inspiration that yes, there is something in my life, there is, there is something that I should do, but they have also found themselves at a place of life where they're dealing with such discouragement and, and, and feeling paralyzed in their life because it's just gotten so hard. The longer that we lead, the harder it is to maintain leadership. And here's, here's a few reasons why. Because we have a tendency to forget the source of our power. We begin with the idea that the power, in this, uh, the power of our lives comes from ourselves. It comes from the innate skill and wisdom that we have. And when we forget the source of our power and when we experience a bit of criticism or a bit of failure, a bit of setbacks or something happens in our life that we did not expect or the great and grand idea that we had that we couldn't imagine anyone not seeing as a wonderful, beautiful thing of God. When we run into that setback, when we run into that failure, it increases our sense of isolation. And in that loneliness, the loneliness that all leaders experience, there is a temptation to crave success more than you would crave faithfulness. The faithfulness to do what God has called you to do more than the success that will make the loneliness disappear. It's why the longer that you lead, the harder it is to maintain your leadership. And so when we look at the life of Jesus, what we find is the model for the life of a leader. And the model is as simple as what you find in Luke chapter 5, verse 16. It's in Jesus' willingness to withdraw from the crowds and the busyness of his own life and ministry to be with God and to have the power of his life renewed in the presence of his father, the primary relationship of his life, the energy and the passion that drove his life. Here's another thing uh, that Barton says in her book. There is a pivotal moment in the life of a leader. It is the moment when whatever the promised land is for us, whatever it is that we are working for in our homes, in our workplaces, in the world around us, whatever it is that we are working for, it pales in significance when compared with our desire for God. Leadership has taken a toll. A great emptiness has opened up. And we realize, as Moses did, 
that there is no promised land we could ever envision that matters nearly as much as the presence of God in our life right here and right now. Here's the bottom line that I want you to wrestle with as you think about your life and your leadership and the influence that you have in your life. That the capacity of your life is not based on your position or your skill. The capacity of your life is a direct reflection of how deeply and consistently you desire God. That's where your influence grows. That's where your leadership grows. Not from how wise you may be or skilled you may be, but how deeply you desire God and how consistently you withdraw from the busyness of your life to remember that your life is not about what you do. Your life is about who you are. It's about the person that you are becoming. It's about the fruit of the spirit at work in your life. It's about the increase of love and joy and peace and patience and all the rest of those fruits you know so well. This is what defines the capacity of your life. It defines the capacity of your leadership. It defines the capacity of your influence. It's how deeply you desire God. Above all else in your life, how deeply you desire God. For if you desire anything more than that, Leadership will get harder every day you act as a leader. Because it's hard. It's difficult. It's challenging. There's a power that is released. And if that power is not renewed, there will be no power left in your life. The life of a leader is a life of one who is willing to endure the loneliness and in enduring the loneliness to allow that to drive you back to the heart of God from which the power of your life truly comes. Over the next few weeks, you're gonna get the chance to hear from three individuals who I know well, whose lives are testimonies to this truth. They have skill, they have positions, yes, but what you will hear from them and what you know so well about some of them is that the capacity of their life is really about how deeply they desire God. So maybe today you might think about your own leadership and your own influence and maybe today you may find yourself at a place of discouragement wondering, is that really true? Is there something within me that others might be blessed to receive? I'm looking for leaders, but is it possible that God is looking for me? Is it, is it true that leadership really does begin in the heart? If you find yourself at a place where you feel discouraged, I wanna challenge you to pursue the heart of God. 
to pursue the power that comes not from a position or your wisdom or your skills, but the power that comes from being present with the power of God. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, we hear stories about children like Maggie. We hear about those who have the courage to stand up and say something that others may not have the courage to say. And maybe for some of us, Lord, what what we sense in our hearts is an awareness of how we might have We used to be like that, Lord. We see a picture of what we once had, but maybe along the way we we may feel like we've lost. For anyone, Lord, who is experiencing that sense of discouragement, I pray that you will bless them with a measure of your grace. That you will remind them, Lord, that, that the real joy of their life, the real value of their, of their life is not anything that they might do. But the joy of their life, Lord, is being with you. Give us, Lord, a hunger and a desire to lean into you, to know the true source of the power that can be available in our life to influence and impact your world. In our loneliness and in our hurt, we come to you, Jesus, asking you to renew us and restore us and empower us again. All these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.